Alrighty guys, welcome to Viking Fitness Podcast, episode 4. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, previously, just quickly checking up on the last episode, I made a comment about eating to, uh, eating fruit being as bad as sugar, is apparently how I've been told how it came across. Just wanted to correct that and say what I meant is if you gorge yourself on fruit, it's not a huge difference to gorging yourself on sugar and that. Like, you can have your chocolate bar, you can have a couple apples, you know, but if you eat a bag of oranges, it's still a lot of sugar. That was just the comment I was trying to make. Um, anyway, welcome to today. Today we've got the bright and beautiful Danny on, and we're just going to talk a little bit about Danny, her life, what she's got going on, what she's had, and dropping a few comments on a few different topics like diabetes and whatnot. So tune in. Thanks for listening. So we've got Danny today. Danny's Hello. in to talk to us about her life experiences, how she got in health and fitness, and how she became the person she is today. Woo-hoo. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So uh, Danny and I met back in high school, like, what would have been like year six or something like that. Wow, we yeah. We ended up at the same high school together. And yeah, um, so we've known each other a fair while, uh, on, off and on, off and on. Danny's been off on our own adventures and that quite frequently <laughs> but yeah have somewhere you want to start Danny? um yeah i mean i guess growing up i was never really conscious of health and fitness um at the age of 14 i was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um i always had a mum who never really put a spotlight on health and fitness at all. So I never thought about it. Um, she was always really blasé about health and everything. Like, she didn't really exercise very much. She took me to yoga here and there, but <laughs> never really highlighted the importance of health in general. Um, so this whole type 1 diabetes kind of forced me to think about my diet, sort of the quality of what I'm actually eating. And... From there, I was just really conscious in general. Yeah. Type 1. Type one's the one where the immune system destroys the cells in the pancreas, right? And prevents insulin so. release? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know too much about it. I'm not an expert, but okay, pretty much my pancreas cacked itself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I was trying to bait you into answering the question, but um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Type 1 diabetes is... Uh, it's an autoimmune response where the body will actually destroy, I think it's the beta cells in the pancreas, which produce insulin. And so without it, um, type one, people with type 1 diabetes can't produce their own insulin, so they have to take it. I think they actually make the insulin from pigs. I think it's pig insulin. I they didn't use. know that. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Remember, That's really yeah, cool. Because they've got um, very similar like anatomy to us as well. Mm. Yeah. And how do you monitor your blood glucose? Um, I find it best to test my blood sugar every four hours. Yeah. For best results, um, you get you test every like two to three hours. Yeah. 
but that's just really inconvenient for every day. So every four hours is really good. And um, insulin lasts like around four hours. It's got this curve depending on which insulin you use, like either a basal or a bolus. Yeah. Um, different names of insulin. Like I just solely use Novorapid. Yeah. But yeah, with that, um, that's how I monitor it. And do you have a um, do you use a pinprick and test through your fingers? Or yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, one of my friends has just gone to look at. She's getting a new device that comes with like it's a little wearable and it sticks to you. It's got a little I think two millimeter platinum prick. Is that the continuous glucose monitor? Yeah, and it yes. mess- messages your phone every five minutes your blood glucose and level. if you have a pump it actually sends it to that and I, ha- I had it for three days but i did a race and it fell out and off and i lost it oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing help. yeah but i thought that was such a cool way of doing it just have a constant supply i mean i don't like i mean it's probably a bit weird though having something that's so permanently stuck on you you get really used to it really quickly surprisingly yeah. I suppose it'd be the same as like when you get an earring or something like that too, yeah. I suppose. I mean, first Belly you ring even. it on things and then eventually you're just aware that it's there. Mm. Or watches. I first time I started wearing watches, went through so many watches. It's like really attuned with like where my body is in space. So when I stick an extra five centimetres of watch on, I smash against walls, <laughs> everything. I <laughs> went through about three or four watches before I got used to it. Yeah. yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Anything, any slight change, you kind of notice a lot of, especially if it's on your person kind of thing. Apparently, is uh, my bald head beanie stick to it? Yeah. Velcro. Yeah, people can't steal my beanie off me. They'll go and grab it and just <laughs> sticks right to my right to my head. Far out. Very concerning to be around. Actually, no, you weren't. You weren't really prepared for it. Oh. Being bald. No. Oh, well, I was. What was it? I was just at Ella House prepping some stuff up um, and then he walked through the front door and there's a nice little window from the kitchen to the front door and he just walks in with this big beard and then a bald head and I was just oh <laughs> just changing up a little bit then I, uh, I yeah. do you feel breezes differently too yeah you can tell tell the difference in temperature in a room and we've got um, <laughs> heat UV lights in the bathroom here mm. I can't turn them on they'll give me a sunburn we'll have a shower Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That puts it in perspective, that's for sure. Something on your head. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something I can sit that I have <laughs> to deal with. But, mm. I mean, it's a thing. But yeah, so where are you at now with your health and fitness? Where am I at with my health and fitness? Um, at the moment, oh, to put it in, like to give a little background to it, I let myself get to the point of mostly fat. Most of my body percentage was actually fat. And I was 90 kilos overweight. Yeah. Well, that was my weight, but I was overweight. And now I am 75 kilos. But I lost quite a lot in mass. I didn't keep track of it very well. I lost a lot in fat mass, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and gained some in muscle. Yeah. And now I'm feeling the best I've ever felt and feel really good in my own skin. So 
In regards to the mental side of health, I feel really good, um, especially since having, I guess, forced upon the consciousness of health. So that's where I'm at now. I feel like I'm forgetting things, but that's it. It's, it's easy to do when you're, like, you're trying to almost half force a conversation. You forget mm. what you want to say. Because so, um, you're studying a sports-based course at Murdoch. Yes, I am. Um, double major, sport and health science and movement science. Yeah, okay. So movement science is more like your biomechanic yeah. sort of background? Yeah. Cool. Um, where do you want to go with that? It's been a journey in my mind. Um, at first I wanted to be a physiotherapist. Then I thought, eh, I'm just here for the learning of it, you know the passion for the drive just knowledge and then I started meeting people who are in rehab so I'm really deeply considering going into rehabilitative sort of exercise yeah helping people who can't exactly exercise or really struggle to so just you yeah I have no idea what that is but <laughs> yes why not <laughs> uh we'll put it in perspective for everyone so Danny's course that she was staying at the moment is very similar to my course as well, which is sports and rehabilitation sciences. But um, working with people with chronic diseases, stroke victims, that sort of thing is outside of our scope of practice. To bring that into your scope, you need to do another 12 months of studying exercise physiology. And that brings you into becoming an AEP, which also makes you a medical provider and people can get rebates and stuff like that on your sessions. So it's, Medicare and stuff. Yeah, people can do Medicare claims on we your should. session. As well as it opens up your um, qualifications to work with, you know, heavily, severely overweight, stroke victims, technical mm. heart problems, all those sort of stuff. Um, essentially opens you up to doing very similar work to physio sort of work, but physio is a lot more hospital-based exercise physiologists are a lot more clinic to gym base or even sports yeah yeah sports and like um even a, the practicum i'm doing now it's outside of my scope but i work with a few stroke victims and stuff like that so we do all sorts of things to like um electrical stimulation that to try and force um muscle movement and that whoa yeah it's outside of our scope but we still get a chance to play in the field that sounds really interesting yeah, it is actually quite interesting. And from a sports science uh, look at take on it, it's quite simple to understand how resistance training would work for stroke victims. Because you like if you just go to the basics of like what happens when you lift weights, you tear muscle fibers, you regrow muscle fibers, you run neural networks to innovate those muscle fibers. So if you have a damaged side that's got damaged neural response and you forcing that muscle to grow, you're building new neural pathways, which is going to help the stroke, but it's limiting them from being able to use that limb. And we'll do a lot of work with crossover of transfer, which is, um, I've actually done a couple of papers for assignments on it, which is like crossover transfers. When you train something on one limb, your body actually sends a neurological adaptations to the other limb mm -hmm. to try and keep it balanced out. And it's the same like when people have an injury, like sports uh, professional players, if they injure the leg, they should still be doing strength training on their right hand leg. So they'll get up, I think it's up to about 70% of the strength gains in the leg that's not even moving. 
and so it'll give them a kickstart to recovering from the injury. That's so but cool. It's the same sort of theory that you use with stroke victims. It's like, okay, you can't use your left side, but I know if I train your right side, you're going to get neural pathways sent down the left side, which is going to help rebuild the neural pathways. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so, that's I can. Crazy. <laughs> I can just see how awesome that would actually be to help someone move again. Yeah. And get down to the basics of it, right to the start and build from there. Yeah. And like that's it's not just with stroke victims alone, like there's lots of injuries and that, like broken bones and all that sort of stuff as well, to just sprains, tendonitis, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But like that's probably been one of my favourite things that I've had at Prac. Like, um I had a guy that came in at the start, he had done his ACL. Mm-hmm you know, struggling to walk again, that sort of thing. The other day he was able to leg press 280 kilos of weights with an 85 kilo prac student balancing on top of the plate as well. So about a 365 kilo leg press for three reps. I can only do 80. Where like, a few months ago this guy was struggling to walk. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. wow. But yeah, like it's, it's just amazing to watch people go from that sort of stuff she'd never be able to pick up a piece of paper mm. because of the damage in that she does bicep curls with 6 kilos and she's about 80 plus years old Aww. Like, that's know. beautiful and I think that's the thing that I like most about some of the work that you get to see with the exercise physiologists do is you get people that the doctors have told them oh you're not going to be able to walk again or you'll never be able to do this and you know they'll get sent to an exercise physiologist and he's going yeah look bro it's fucking mm. bad watch this like you know give me three months give me six months with you mm. like it's gonna be different like fuck what that guy said if there's anything in what I've learnt in all of my journeys combined just in retrospective sort of view towards it is that you can't put limitations on other people yeah now fair enough they're doctors but if you provide that limitation people are going to end up believing that. Yeah. So 100%. never limit anyone, I guess. Another good one. I might have the name wrong, but um, I follow a few bodybuilders. I'm pretty sure it was Matt Croc. Matt Croc is... He held a couple of records for, I think, the biggest squat, and he has the record for the Croc row, which is a inclined uh, single-arm dumbbell row. Okay. Um, I think he does something ridiculous at 300 pounds. But he, I can't remember what injury he had. He had some severe injury doing squats and that. With his knees or something? I think, I can't remember if it was his knee or his lower spine. I feel like it was his lower spine. And um, when he recovered from the surgery and that, the doctors were like, you'll never walk again. Like, you'll never mm. be able to walk. Six months later, he was back to, like, squatting 200 kilos. Because he was like, no, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> I'll be going back to that gym and I'll be squatting weight again. And sure enough... Wow. And I think that's the other limitation is when something happens to you that restricts your movement, people always seem to decide the best way is to not move. Oh, like, like yeah. If you get injured, they're like, oh, I've hurt my knee, so I'm not going to use it. It's like, well, no, because now that you're not using it, you're Even losing more reason. It. Yeah, like, and that's where a lot of you get a lot of issues with atrophy and stuff like that because people are like, oh, I've got this injury, so, you know, they lay in bed for weeks and that. And it's one of the major issues with cancer patients and stuff as well. Mm. So they don't get cancer patients to do much exercise. So quite often, 
they're laying around all day, they get atrophy, and then even when they do recover from the cancer, mm. it takes them months to rehabilitate to getting back to fit and strong and healthy again. Where like, it's been proven, multiple, multiple studies have proven it now that like, you know, exercise in cancer research and that is like heavily beneficial in that. And um, even when my own dad got sick, the only thing he had was a physiotherapist came around and showed him some things to do with a lucky band with his thumbs for exercise or something ridiculous like that. Mm. When, you know, he could have been going, you know, I mean, he was stuck at hospital all day. They've got little gyms at the hospital. He could have gone and done, you know, 10 minute walk on the treadmill, a couple of weights. It doesn't have to be heavy, but just doing something to maintain. Mm. That also touches on a really good point of um, everyone thinks there's a should in exercise where yeah. it's it's definitely all about yourself and what you are able to do. Yeah. And as little or as much as you need, like, I mean, you've you got to start somewhere. That's mm. the biggest thing. And, like, people, oh, oh but I want to lose weight before I go to the gym. Why? <laughs> You're going to the gym to lose weight. Mm. Oh, people are going to judge me. It's like, man, the only people in the gym, like, if you're going to a normal gym, the only people people care about in there are themselves. Like, mm-hmm. they're not going to be eyeing you off because they're too self-conscious about themselves. They're not going to be like, oh, look at that guy. I mean, the only thing they'll be doing is like, oh, man, I wish I was as lean as that guy. And then that guy's looking across. Oh, I wish I was as big as that guy. And then that chick's like, oh, I wish my legs were like hers. Mm. Like, no one's judging you. The only thing people will be there is jealous. Like they're not. And yeah. The only sort of judgment like you'll get is if you're doing poor form or something like that. Sometimes you get people who are meatheads and that will be like, oh, rah, rah, rah. but like, you know, do your research, get people to help you, look online, look like you know people that can help out. Go see a personal trainer. Mm. I mean, preferably a sports scientist or like a personal trainer you might know. There's so many personal trainers out there. So, so many. So many. Problem is there's also a lot that don't know what they're talking about. Exactly, yeah. The problem with personal trainers is they learn what you should do. Mm. They don't know why you're doing it. Mm. They know the rep ranges. They know the exercises. They don't know why they're telling you to do it. The background info. Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand the responses and things that happen. And it's a reasonable relative speaking terms it's a short course as well i mean if you hammer it all out i'm pretty sure you can get your cert three and four done i think it's about six weeks now okay of doing like monday to friday sort of thing um issue there is it's not a lot of time to review information mm-hmm. so people forget things and even the other day i was watching a uh, client was having issues with a squat in a gym that i was training at and it was squat it had to do with his range of motion he couldn't do it and I think the weight was probably too heavy for him because it was his first day so the um, PT got him to do full body static stretching Mm. now the issue there is full body static stretching reduces the amount of weight you can move Mm. because you've lengthened out your muscles and that so you've changed the lever actions and all that and you actually made yourself mechanically weaker for a short amount of time to then go do squats so you've now increased the issue that he's had of not being strong enough to move the weight. Mm. Where, like, you know, start off with just the butt. I mean, hell, a lot of the people I train, I make them start off with a broomstick. 
It's like, oh, you want to do Olympic lifting? You want to do squats? You want to do deadlifts? This is your new best friend. This is the $2 broomstick. <laughs> and you'll yes. be training with this until your form's right. Mm. And, like, I mean, it might take five minutes. It might take a whole session. But, like... At least you know where you're going from there. properly. And mm. you're not going to be building further problems down the track. Yeah. 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 That's so good. Oh, and back to the gym example. Um, even if you do get... A meathead who's like hell hell judgy take that as an opportunity to be like yeah i'm gonna be where you're at man I was actually thinking about carbs the other day. Um, the past few weeks, I've been noticing them more and more, like people walking and I see how their calves move and it's just really fascinating. I don't know what it is, but I keep like, and when people are crossing their legs, like I was doing meditation last night at this center and I was just looking at these calves and everyone has different calves. And I was just like, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Like, and it gets me thinking even deeper, like about how people get different sorts of calves. I think it's pretty cool. It'd be not only sport specific, but I think the way people walk, mm. depending on their gait to whether they're pointing their toes inwards and outwards and that's going to focus on, because there's three main muscles in your calves. You've got the soleus, which is just basically a big flat muscle at the back, mm. which does most of your movement. And then you've got the left head and right head of the gastrocnemius. So if you walk with your feet pointed inwards, the medial heads mm-hmm. of your gastroc are going to be more. Um, so if you upon. like walk like a like pigeon toad, is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah, yeah. when your toes pointed. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pigeon toad. Yeah. But yeah, so like if you walk that way, you're going to have more activation of one side than the other. So we're just going to give you like a different shape. But like you know, that could be as little as five degrees making enough of a difference. Mm. Um, it's just yeah, it's crazy though. And then, then yeah, and then you have your more sport specific things because like your sprinters and that normally have huge calves, but then you're like long distance runners. They're hell thin, they're hell narrow. Half the time the calves not too much wider than their actual shins. And then you get yeah a sprinter where like you've got five inches of muscle mass either Power. side of this shin. Mm massive power from that yeah oh yeah well, that's um it's actually a lot of issues in some people with their achilles and that because there's so much tension in there all the time because you're always running around it you're always jumping up on it and that's one of the big things that i don't like which is in the gym is calf raises a lot of people bounce and that and that's sort of stuff it's like man you're already storing so much energy in there pause up pause control down, pause, mm. up, pause because it's just so much energy plyometric training it's one of the major problems plyometric training is actually using the stored energy in a tendon okay so you um you you like force the stored energy and then you release it and it's a lot of things like your hurdles mm. when you're jumping hurdles and that sort of stuff your box jumps that's the idea you jump down when you're squatting down you're loading up those muscles you're stretching out those tendons to get the elastic energy and then you're bouncing off of that and that's one of the main 
problems that come to those sort of trainings is people that aren't used to it or they overtrain, they start pulling tendons and stuff like that because mm-hmm. they're storing way too much energy. Exercise is definitely a process, like yeah. to get to where you feel like you want to be or need to be. Yeah. And I think that's everyone's different too. I mean, you're not going to train someone who wants to run a two hour marathon the same way you're going to train someone who wants to bench 180. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. You'd think it'd be a lot easier, just just the idea behind it. Like, did you know, well, what are the ads all on TV? 30 minutes exercise a day or something like that. It's all mm. you need, rah, rah, rah. And it's just some chip on hold to a company just going up and down the steps of the front house. It's like, yeah, that's good. But it's so much more complicated than that, you know? Even yeah. all the way down to individual needs, even just like to a macro level of what a person needs as a basics. Mm. Is, a lot more confusing like listening to you guys get down into it it's, and you're talking about three muscles in the calf and I'm like half the time I can't tell you confidently which one is the calf and which one is the thigh like <laughs> yeah. every now and then I'll have one of those days and you're like haha there's three bits I'm like no no there's just a leg it's just a part uh, of yeah. the leg <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's great to see that I guess you could say stereotypically um, people doing, you know, going to the gym and that sort of thing aren't smart or whatever it is. But it's like, no, it, there's just as much science and just as much complicated nonsense in everything as there is in exercise as well. Yeah. And it's quite, it's quite intimidating. You have no idea what you're doing for that. Mm. Oh. That's another thing. Um, when one of the units that I'm doing as a part of my degree right now, mm. um, psychological, no, exercise psychology. Mm. And it's talking about how there's this sort of ecological model. Yeah, I think that's it. Don't quote me on it, but (laughs) ecological model. And it's got all these factors and it all comes back to interpersonal. And that's how you see yourself. But one of the things is like public health sort of thing, like organisational part of the ecological model where there's public health campaigns. Yeah. And... It touches on a big thing where you've got to get the science simplified down enough to that sort of, mm. I guess, a sweet spot maybe to actually that. communicate it well, you know? Yeah. And it when, for someone who's going to the gym for the first time, oh, yeah. when you walk in and you see the, the vast amount of variety in there, like... Um, I guess diversity, better word. Yeah. Uh, you get overwhelmed because you it raises uncertainty. You're just like, what's going on? What do I do? Like, is what I'm doing actually what I want to be doing or should be doing? Or I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, because it's not only the diversity of people; it's the diversity of exercise as well. Because mm. you have your people that go in, they'll spend an hour in the treadmill, but then you have your guys that go in. They'll do 10 sets of 10 of bench and then leave. Like, you've got such, like, extremes and different ways of training and that. Mm. But, yeah, it's quite easy to be unsure, especially for the first time. You're like, yeah, like, should I be doing what they're doing or, like, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, that's what makes guidance all the more important. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, gyms nowadays are normally a lot better for that. I mean, a lot of mm. gyms now, when you sign up, you have to do, like, three sessions with someone and, like, write out your health plan and stuff like that. Which I think is a much better way of going around it. Also helps prevent suing and personal, like, not yeah. personal, like, lawsuits and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I've only had I've had two gyms where I've had the sign of death waiver in the. Um, uh-huh. A yeah. death. Um, what? Rockies and Geraldton. Oh yeah, no, you know what? Um, I'm gonna say it. Probably shouldn't. Steroid gym. Oh wow. Yeah, the chicks in there are bigger Adam apples than me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> three times my size. <laughs> but um, yeah, the one of the uh, things you have to sign, and they're like, when you're signing up to the gym and that, uh, the way the it's been worded out, it's like your normal injury one. It's like, oh yeah, I understand if there comes any injury. And then they're like, or oh, death. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't consider it to be an option, but. <laughs> Just don't put heavy things above your head and drop them. But, you know, mm-hmm. here's a piece of paper in case you do. Yeah, more or yeah. less. Yeah. And I think the other one was one of the Muay Thai gyms I joined, I'm pretty sure, mm. had the same clause in it. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how many gyms there are actually out there these days. Oh, there's plenty. Hundreds, man. Mm. If you go on like, Google's maps now, I bet you could run to three gyms. There'd be like three gyms that are within my running distance, which isn't far. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I can't run that far. But it's like even at um, like I'm passing at the moment, uh, at the house I normally live at, mm. there are two gyms that I could run with confidently, and they're within 100 metres of each other. Like... They're, they're everywhere. There's gyms everywhere, man. And the problem is, is like you quite often get a gym open up. If that gym does well, a second gym will open up next to it. Mm. People just hoarding like crows. But opportunistic. People need to dare to be different. Mm. I mean, at first, people dared to be different with like when twenty four hour gyms came out. Gyms went from privately owned, and then twenty four hour gyms came out. And people were like, oh shit, I can't compete with that. Like we've got mm. to do twenty four hours now too. So they switched to 24 hours and that. But now, like, what, probably over half of gyms easily, probably close to 80% of gyms are 24 hours. I mean, it's rare that I go to a gym now that doesn't have a 24-hour access thing. Uh, So this sort of point now where it's like, well, that's not enough now. Mm. You can't just be the 24-hour gym because everyone's a 24-hour gym. You need something else. And I think that's growing market for your sports scientists and that as well because there's a lot more, like, clinical gyms opening up now. Um, it's hard to find one that isn't clinical like that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is what's going to happen now is you're going to have all your gyms. They're all going to have sports scientists and exercise physiologists. All gyms are going to be clinical gyms. Mm. And so, like, you've got to constantly... You've, you've got to grow and adapt. You've got to be different. You need to do things that are people like, oh, no, I'm going to this person because they do this. They, they do it differently. Mm. I think one of the things is even just little challenges, like... Um, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of CrossFit purely because the training courses to be certified CrossFit trainer and that, some of them are as short as a weekend. So, you know, three-year degree to two-day course, I'd assume that I might know more than them. Um, quite often they'll have, like a, they'll have like a ladder machine, which is a continuous ladder that you just climb and it rotates with you. The faster you go, the faster the ladders come down. That's pretty yeah, cool, actually. You just attach it to a, it's normally got a string, you attach it to your belt or whatever, or clip it onto your pants. And yeah, so the further you pull that cord, the faster it goes. The faster you're running up it, the faster the ladders go. And quite often, they'll have like a chalkboard, and they'll like, who has the highest score that month? Mm. Even just little things like that, and enough to get people to go like, no, nah, I'm going to beat that this month. Like, no, I'm going to be the person at the top. Just little things like that to 
maybe different as well, like class scores and things like that, and just different styles of doing things, different mm-hmm. styles of classes. The um, <coughs> Muay Thai gym I went to was quite good. I mean, they offered Muay Thai, boxing, MMA, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I think a couple styles of karate, Krav Maga, Greco, uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, Judo, all that. But on top of that, they had like, because uh, CrossFit's a brand name, they had core fit classes, mobility classes, yoga classes. Like they had a huge variety of things. Mm. Uh, that's more so to the point where I'm like, people need to be different now. Like you need to have options. Need to mm. maybe just specialize instead of going out and doing everything. Mm. I think doing everything's okay because people will then move within your gym before they move out. Mm. Because mm. if I'm doing more time, I'll go, oh, that CrossFit stuff looks all right. Or like, oh, that judo stuff looks all right or whatever. Mm. Instead of me just going, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go find a judo gym or I'm going to go find a F45 or something like that. I'm going to go like, well, I'm going to go do that class a few times. And who knows, you know, you make friends, people in that class, you're like, well, I have friends here. This class is pretty good. Why would I go somewhere else? Yeah, and you stick but, around longer and actually do the class even if you don't want to just because of the friends part of thing. And Yeah, yeah instead of moving to a whole new gym, mm. which can be scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> the whole new range of people and stuff like that. Then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly just waiting for a gym well not a gym but most gyms to always just have a boxing bag there that would be uh, nice <laughs> it would oh, yeah. oh I'm waiting for it yeah. <laughs> so much I reckon there should be four I reckon most gyms should have four should have four boxing bags yeah four boxing bags okay you want, you want a high light one a long light one a high heavy one and a long heavy one so that people can do like all your variations of punching and kicking and speed and power things. Wicked. Because right? like, you can't just have one little boxing bag and like a lot of gyms, quite often a gym will have one, just like one light bag. Problem is you can't punch that things flying around like hell. Like you're, you know, for the um, older population of kids, it's great. They can't just sling this thing around. So they can just sit yeah. there and they can do their workout. But like, you bring in a couple like people middle-aged guys and middle-aged women that and have a little bit of experience they're just going to be punching that thing around they're going to be chasing the thing like mm. waving around so that's where you need your heavy bags and then like your heavy bags as well and your long bags so that people can practice their kicks and things like that and like the thing is boxing has terrific cardio especially yeah. if you're doing correct forms most people especially like boxing fitness classes they do their boxing they're only moving at the shoulders like they're only using their arms when you do a proper boxing technique it starts at your feet and it like mm. there's a whole body of motion rotation and all that and like it is a whole body exercise and it's extremely tiring once you learn how to do it right it feels good too oh, yeah. like there was there was a time where i always thought that punching was like oh nah 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 <laughs> you know it's punching it's horrible Don't need to punch people. No, <laughs> yeah but punching a bag feels beautiful and thrilling and it's just like that's where my energy can go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, hell yeah. It's like, <laughs> boom. It just feels really good especially to me. Especially if you're angry at something or someone. <laughs> yeah, especially. And if you're really mad, you go to the printer and you print out a face. Oh. <laughs> Man. <laughs> it's good for built up sort of emotional stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. 
And it's also great for like, I reckon like high intensity stuff because mm. you can go for like, you do your 30, 30 splits, there's 30 seconds, 30 seconds. But you do 30 really hard, like not as fast, but you do the very max power, mm. bang, bang, bang. And then you switch to 30 seconds, just hit the bag as fast as you can. And then you switch back. You do something like that. It's like, if you haven't reached the max heart rate before, you're going to get close. <laughs> yeah. I actually recently just learned about that, which is a bad thing because I'm so like second year degree <laughs> into my degree. So yeah, yeah. 220 minus your age, I think is oh, your max. Yeah. I yeah. used to assume max is when you die and there's an explosion. Uh, I mean, there's, 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 there is a max there. That's probably your true yeah. max. What is that? Well, your, yeah. your predicted max heart rate is, yeah, as Danny said, is 220 minus your age. Mm. Um, some people can just like, that's a problem exceptions to the rule and there's always people yeah. so different it's very vague can go higher than what their predicted max heart rate is and again predicted especially if they're good at like fallen athletes yeah and um kids and stuff like that their heart rates are ridiculous and measure heart rate for kids you just can't compare it to adults yeah their little bodies are just trying so hard to keep up but that's yep. actually going to do with some um certain growth problems and stuff like that mm. so left ventricle size which is the main pump in your heart um are a lot smaller so they can't get as much blood around, around so the heart rate increases to mm-hmm. make up for it and it's even smaller once you go relative if you go relative to the size of a kid's left ventricle to adults it's smaller much bigger heart rate changes over time <coughs> um but yeah and then to get that more confusing is then you've got different ways of calculating your target heart rates because mm. you always get your max heart rate and then from there people the normal method was oh 60 to 70 percent so you just do 60 to 70 percent of that you work out that node range but then more accurate methods have come out like the car carnovian method don't quote me on that word um i've definitely never heard of it oh well that's yet. <laughs> that's where you get your uh, max heart rate you minus your resting heart rate from that you do 60 percent mm. of that then you add your resting heart rate back on again and that's your 60% range. So it's a bit more of a calculation but it gives you a more accurate yeah. target heart range. Yeah, it's the carb- Carbonin formula. Carbonin, there we go. Cool. Uh, that's, as you said, maximum and resting heart rate to find just, yeah, if, what you said. <laughs> yeah. The internet just gave me the word properly, so mm. I'm not gonna try and add like I know what I'm talking about. Mm. <laughs> That sounds good, though. The more processing calculation, the more accurate, of course. Yeah. If you do the calculations right. True, <laughs> true. Huge, huge issue with most people. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, there's always new ways of doing things in that as well. And, like, you live and you learn. Probably mm-hmm. my, my least favourite use of any calculations out there is BMI. Least favourite? We use yeah. these all the time. Yeah, BMI is... Body mass index? Yeah, body mass. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Body mass index. So body mass index, if I remember correctly, is your weight divided by your height squared. Why is it your least favourite? Because it doesn't consider everything. It only considers mm. your weight and your height. And you might think, oh, that's all I'm at. Like, well, Just like an overall that, figure. If Now I'd probably be alright, but back in my first year of uni, I was like, heavily into bodybuilding. Mm. I was just trying to get as big as I could. I got to about 101 kilo at my heaviest point. If I did my BMI back then, I was obese. Mm. 
but you're actually but just I like nine percent body fat. Mm. <laughs> so like that's the thing with BMI is it doesn't consider the fact that how much of that mass is bone, how much of it's water weight, how much yeah. of it's muscle mass, how much of it's organ tissue, mm. and that's why fat percentage I reckon is so, such a better way of calculating, it really is. especially for your parties that are into your bodybuilding and stuff mm. like that, and your sports specific people, because a lot of them will come up as overweight or obese on their BMIs and that. Mm. And so it's just a, it's not a effective way of measuring it, but people do it because it's an easy way. Yeah. To get your stats, it's really easy to go out and record a bunch of people's height and weight, and then you can get all your data from that. I honestly think, um, especially mums and housewives and things, they're so, like, clients I look after right now, I... I get a discount on Tanita scales, which are body composition monitors. Yeah. And I use them to really just <laughs> reassure my clients because they're so caught up in just the total number on the scale, like yeah. kilos or oh, yeah. whatever, you know? That would be, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, no, so the fact that they could be putting on muscle at the same time. Exactly. Like, if that's the whole um, thing about if people build muscle, they lose weight easier, but, like, lose weight as in fat. Um, well, just metabolically, if you have more muscle, yeah. you need more energy to exactly. supply that muscle. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's very reassuring for clients because they realise that the rest, the, like, fat's not the only thing in their body, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Well, a lot of it's water. That's what shocked me. At mm. Crack, we've got a ridiculously expensive tomato scanner. I think it was about six grand or something. I thought yeah. they were only like 500 at maximum. No, no, the, the, the big clinical ones, they go skyrocketing in price. Dish. But it's like everything, once you start going to the max range, it's expensive no matter how much better it is. Mm. Um, and like I did mine, I was going through the measurements and it was like, water, 50 kilos. I was like, wait, like 60 plus percent of my body weight is water? Like, what yeah. the fuck? But, and, then, and that's a really good range too for a guy especially. Yeah, well, I was surprised because I'd been out drinking the day before. So I was like <laughs> dehydrated, and I wasn't. <laughs> but yeah. My average is around 50, 55. And yeah. it's, it's, I used to be, um, when I was around that 90 kilos, I used to be like 35 on average. And I was wondering why it was so hard to lose weight. Water is the key for everything. Yeah. Like, that's for sure. Isn't that, um, something along the lines of, you know, in the first week of exercising, your weight will actually go up. Yep. Because sometimes of all the water weight and stuff like that. So people sit there and they go, they're not getting any improvement. They're getting the opposite. There's a higher number on the scale. And then all that does is dishearten because the first week is so hard. It yeah. Depends where you're coming from too. That, that's more so with your aerobic training. Because what happens is to help with the blood flow, your body increases your plasma volume mm. in your body to help carry around more blood mm. and um, you end up building red blood cells and that to match and all that but that takes longer but yeah in the first two weeks you'll increase I think it's up to like 15 to 20 percent of your plasma volume when you work out how much of your body weight is plasma it's a fair increase of weight yeah. and so yeah that's yeah as you said it's one of the issues is people aren't why are you losing any weight like I look slimmer mm. like, yes but you've also put on like four kilos of water like, your yeah. body's trying to do that thing to keep you healthy man don't don't worry so much but mm. and that's another problem especially with females with aerobic training is in that first two weeks 
plasma volume goes up, red blood cells relatively low comes across as having low iron. Mm. Um, I can't remember the term for it. There's a special term for it where it's like predicted in it, like preemptively predicted anemia. Okay. I can't remember the actual term for it. It's got mm. a special term. But what happens is people will start training that. They'll go to the doctor. They forgot forget to tell the doctor that they've started training. The doctor does the bloods and they go, oh, you're low on iron. It's iron supplements. <laughs> They're not low on iron. They're just relatively low at the moment because they've started training. Yeah. So then you start getting misdiagnosis of issues and stuff like that. It's just, yeah, it's just so many things. And that's why I think we're doing really well, especially in Australia now, to moving towards multiple disciplinary actions for health. Hmm. We're getting a lot less to go to the doctor, this is wrong, take this, go to the physio, this is wrong, take this. Less immediate so like, solutions. Okay, he goes, okay, you've got this issue. I need to know more. Okay. Uh, look, I think you should be doing this, but I'm going to contact this person with this degree and this person, this qualification to work out other things and stuff like that. And people are finally starting to work together more instead mm. of like, oh, no, it's all right. I'll sort you out. Here, take this. You're good to go. I'll yeah. see you in a month. If that doesn't work, I'll get you something stronger. So like, the... oh, these are the other issues you might be having yeah. and other things that might be causing it, like only other people involved where the um, holistic sort of approach and things have come yeah. about as well with the trends and whatnot. Yeah. Just trying to think of something to say. Um, I think another big one that's probably vastly overlooked and I'm excited to have uh, one of my friends is studying nutrition at the moment mm. at ECU. Dietetics? Um, I think or specifically nutrition. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, she's going to come on soon as well and, like, she's got some, like, fascinating stuff but it was like the comment someone made to me the other day is like it was like 80% of people in hospitals are some some ridiculous number who are in there for metabolic issues meaning that they're in there from the things that we ingest mm. whether it be you know like smoke alcohol um and just foods and like when you sort of put that in perspective it's like holy shit like there are so many issues there's mm. even a lot of people talking about things with diet and that where changing their diet they change inflammatory issues like some people, um, I can't remember his name. There's a couple of people that go to carnivore diets where they like they only eat meat, mm. and their arthritis goes away. Like the inflammatory response they're getting from whatever, like carb intake. Probably or the strength of the blood or something, maybe. I think something it's like got that. to do with um, because everyone's different. Some people can manage things. I mean, I tried doing a the Dukin diet, which was just only meat. Okay. Um, nothing else. I tried doing that for two weeks to go into ketosis. Um, my sweat hurt and I felt like I was going to die, so I stopped. <laughs> Ooh. But like some people live on the carnivore diet with no negative health what, effects. Um, we've mentioned it a couple of times, specifically the carnivore diet. But what I eat a couple of other uh, casts. But what, what is like what is it like? What are the restrictions on it? Um, they just eat minimal to no carbs, no fruit and vegetables. You anything. just, just yeah, meat. Just meat. And like a lot of people believe, and some people it's probably true, but um, and depending on the grade of meat and what the meat is, that you can get enough of the nutrients from the meat itself, which, I mean, depends. I mean, your grass-fed, healthy, free-range animals probably, but, um, you know, like your mass-produced stock that are probably eating like corn syrup or something like that, mm. probably not. Um, but yeah, it's just a, yeah, pretty much just meat and that's it. 
the Duke and Diet is based off that uh, Duke and Diet's where you go just meat for a week, mm. nothing else, and then you have a vegetable day, and then like the next week you have like five meat days, two vegetable, and then you narrow that down to ends up being like six days of fruit and veg, mm. uh, meat, fruit and veg, and then one day of just pure meat. And it's just down to ketosis because what happens in ketosis is the you can't use the meat and fat that you're eating as an energy source to a degree. If you eat too much protein, your liver is like a philosopher's stone almost. It'll turn some of the protein into carbohydrates. But if you restrict your carbohydrate intake, um, the byproducts you get from breaking down carbs are needed to break down fats. So when you can't break down the fats you're ingesting, which you're getting in quite high volume if you're doing a carnivore diet, mm. um, you can't break those down. So where does the body go? Goes to your fat mass, breaks those Storage. down, turns those into ketones. Oh, that's cool. And then ketones, mm. once used for energy, for um, huge things, if your body thinks you need to use shitloads, it'll make shitloads, but then it can't turn the ketones back into fats. So you piss mm. them out, which is actually why diabetics get sick. Yep. They if I did it, I prob- I'd probably die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't take the insulin, they yeah. can't get the glucose out, so the body starts eating away at their fat mass. But because they don't need the ketones, they just think they do. So mm. it keeps on making ketones, ketones are acidic. So oh. they start it feels cool. Um, there's this thing called DKA, which is diabetes, diabetes ketoacidosis. Yeah, diabetic ketoacidosis. Yeah, and you know from um, Janelle that. She's probably had maybe an episode or two. I think she's had one recently. Okay, yeah. Um, that's I've had about four in my diabetic lifetime, and two uh, two lows. And anyway, the DKA is it's it feels cool. It's very fascinating when you feel it, because what I call um, dragon breath. It feels like you've got a lot of acid on your tongue, and you just breathe it and. You pee a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're filtering out all that glucose and ketones, man. Yeah, it's it's definitely an, uh, an experience. Well, that's one of the issues too. Is um, ketone bodies are quite a large molecule compared to what you normally excrete through urine, so it actually damages your little renal tubules and stuff like that as well. Mm. Which is another issue that um, diabetics and people doing these sort of diets can run into. So they can run into ki- um, kidney failure because they just can't handle. I didn't know that. Processing. Um, because ketones are pretty similar to a protein mm. so they're quite large in structure and yet um, your kidneys aren't supposed to <laughs> filter proteins it's um, quite often like when you have a urine sample at a hospital and that it's pr- normally one of the major things they're looking for is whether you have protein yeah. um, bases or ketones in your urine mm. so they're just things that aren't supposed to go down that pathway so when they are it's like okay well what's wrong <laughs> like what do we need to fix Yeah. but yeah uh, it's, um, it's actually pretty Interesting, like following um, people with type one diabetes and that, and how it all works, and like it gets a lot more confusing when you go into the sports side because it's like, well, how much insulin do they need to take? How much energy do they need available? Like, it's so much becomes a lot more like deeper need to know, mm. and because there's things like because the, the major issue is you need your insulin. Insulin is like a key that unlocks the door, the glucose in your blood muscle mass mm-hmm. so if you don't have your insulin handy they can't replenish their muscles as mm. well which is another place where um, the proteins and that come through is because the 
muscles will eat away at themselves as well. It's a key thing for storage and so yeah. on. Yeah. And because if you don't have the storage of glucose back into your muscle mass, the muscle mass is breaking down because they're not being fed, not mm. actually atrophied, which is another place where your proteins start going into your bloodstream, can't get rid of them, yeah. and then it goes into your urine. Yeah, that's fucking scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you break things down, they can be as scary or as harmless as you can make it. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I've been told the the whole the key metaphor a couple of times, mainly by Janelle. Uh, just just like a brief explanation of how it works, because every now and then I'll get drunk, mm. and I'll see her stab herself, and I'm like, "How does that work again?" And then I get the same thing. I'm like, "Oh, that's really cool," and forget it all. Mm. Um, but when you break it down to as to why as well, instead of just what's going on but why everything needs to happen the way it does mm. it's it's crazy that we've managed to get to this point of oh yeah you know it's just an injection and then it fixes all of these problems at like a such a small level temporarily and then you're gonna get another one like yeah it's I don't know it's cool that we've gotten this far but it's also like this is freaky <laughs> yeah and um as, as someone who's never had to deal with it, like no, no, no one in my immediate family has to deal with it either. So it's kind of like, I don't experience anything to do with it very often at all. Hmm. Checking your pump. Yep. This is another form of injecting insulin. Oh, that's cool. And what I'm holding up is just an insulin pump. So it's constantly on my body um, with a really harmless tiny needle just mm. in the subcutaneous, which is like, just my skin mm. outside layer pretty much almost um and yeah gives a lot of fine-tuning control so i'm really grateful that i've gone from that injecting yeah. three four times a day mm. um that janelle is still probably doing i think yeah and the fourth injection that i used to do is the 24 hour which is the basal i talked about earlier the yeah um, or there's another one called Levomir I've heard a lot about that's very popular, especially with children. Okay. Um, but Novorapid is what I only the only thing I use because it yeah. keeps the background going. It's got my personal settings in there. Yeah. And it's a lot of fine fine tuned management. That's cool. Mm. So it's, yeah, so it's gone down. To, it's a lot simpler and it's uh, personalized for you. Mm. You know, because everyone's different. No it's great that you've got a system that goes, yeah, this unique individual uh, has their own way to do it and bang, it's locked in there now instead mm -hmm. of just doing... Because it's how people do it in general. Yeah. Not like how each person needs different things. Yeah, and my sort of body settings as well because mm -hmm. everyone's body is different. Everyone's... Oh, yeah. Yeah. How they take on insulin is very different mm -hmm. and what carb to insulin ratios and things like that. It's it's all in there. It's yeah. all in there. Talk to your hospital, your local hospital. About yeah. That. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Just to fly back into conversation, just in case anyone who's listening was like, oh, what? Like, I didn't answer that question. Uh, you, answer, you asked a question about um, the diets with the inflammation. The thing with that was, is some of the foods that you eat can cause inflammatory responses. And so mm. that was the idea behind that, is something that they were eating was causing an inflammatory response, which was aggravating their arthritis and things like that. Mm. But it's also like, seeds and grains a lot of them have adapted from us growing them mass growing them and harvesting them they've produced a molecule i'm pretty sure it's called leptin which actually causes irritation in your 
um, gastro injuries. I've heard of that, yeah. Like, um, like myself personally, like I try to avoid breads and stuff like that, like your wheat and grain based carbs Mm. now, stick to potatoes, rice, that sort of thing. Sweet potato. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it's like that sort of thing, like, yeah, that was the comment there is that, yeah, some foods you eat can cause inflammatory responses in your body. And then again, Mm. everyone's different and people get it to varying degrees in different places. But that's why a lot of people are moving to change diets now. Mm. And then, like, gluten's another one. Like, I don't want to be one of those health freaks. Don't eat gluten. But um, I actually feel the difference with gluten. Yeah. It's interesting, really interesting. But the thing is, you have um, you have people that are celiac, which are gluten intolerant, but then mm. you have non-celiac gluten inflammation as well, which can cause like, a variety of different issues. Yeah. And I think it's just a similar sort of thing where... Um, Plants have this weird thing where they can talk to each other. One of my favourite examples is like when a giraffe eats a tree, it'll send a signal downwind that makes the trees taste like shit. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Protect themselves. Yeah. I think it's the same sort of thing that we're running into an issue now is from mass growing all these things and harvesting them all the time. They have some sort of way that plants communicate somehow and we just don't understand how it works. Probably because we, we trap ourselves with our definitions of the words. Like if something's outside of a definition, we find a lot of trouble understanding it because we can't explain it with words. Mm. And I think it's that sort of thing as plants must have this network of talking. And so they're eventually building up adaptations to not be eaten. Mm. And like I think... There yeah, is probably a really influence, a significant influence there. Yeah, and I think that's where like your gluten problems and leptin and stuff like that are coming from. Mm. Like things like Lost at the moment. I'm, I've got nothing. Even just figuring out why plants hate us so much. Find it so easy to get hell philosophical, mm. you know. Oh god! Oh yeah, plants and stuff, dude. <laughs> no, um, plants. No, I'm gonna attend this science behind what you say. Chemicals in the water are making frogs gay. Oh no, not the chemicals. <laughs> Not the water. Oh. I'm keen to get my Californian accent on. <laughs> totally did. <laughs> All right. So, next topic, I guess. Uh, you said uh, you mentioned you had clients earlier. Mm. Um, what like what do you work with your clients? Like what sort of things do you do? Well, what I do is. Um, Two years ago, I was invited to hear about this company called Herbalife Nutrition. And ever since though, ever since then, I've been on and off. Um, well, that's how I lost the weight that I mentioned earlier. And I figured it just made sense. And I figured I would take on board helping other people feel the yeah. same, if that makes sense, as I did. And... Like, with whatever, like, if they wanted to gain weight, lose weight. I pretty much am just, like, a health guide. And anyone that has any sort of health goals, I am open and willing to take them on board as a client and guide them through how I was kind of guided. And I don't know. It's pretty simple, but I don't know. I've never thought of myself of having clients (laughs) before, but 
I'm I'm at that point now. I have clients. But boom. <laughs> you get business cards. I actually do have business cards. I just don't use them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I have business cards in my back pocket. <laughs> How are you gonna keep them all to yourself if you give them away all the time? Like, say what? How are you gonna admire all your business cards if you give them away all the time? True. Yeah. Very true. Yeah, just sit back and admire. Yeah. You know. <laughs> This is like, me. This is what I, I do. Oh, can I have that? No. Mm. No, you got to memorise this information. Look, I'll pull out your phone and add me on Instagram. That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> PM me for more. <laughs> nice. And, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's good. So, was, if... if uh, um, not to simplify anything, but was it, was it, that, was it that journey of, um, you know, getting into the health and that sort of stuff that's pushed you for going through your, your course and stuff? Well, ultimately, yeah. Mm, that's cool. Um, I started my degree really not knowing what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, like, so in my own mind about physiotherapy and preventative um, exercise as medicine uh, mm. instead of doctors and hospitals and... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Diabetes just paints that picture for you. Yeah. Um, but don't get me wrong, I love hospitals and everything. Like, they're there for a reason, a very good reason. And, um, yeah, um, my health consciousness has definitely guided me in everything because ultimately I feel, to my core, health is where everything starts. Fair enough. Yeah. And fitness being a large part of that, like, it's so good for so much and it's so underutilised for a lot of different things these days, mm. so, yeah. yeah. What about yourself at the moment? What sort of training do you do? I literally just started yesterday <laughs> a training to do an 800-kilometre bike ride in February next year. Jesus, so all in, like, one go? Is this, like, a long-distance marathon thing? Or? Um, spread out over a couple of days. Yeah. Like 800 kilometers. Yeah. So are you going somewhere? Like, um, that's um, most yeah. of the way up the coast. It's, I think, I think, I haven't thought too much in depth about it, but I think I'm going to Melbourne. It starts in Melbourne or Victoria somewhere. Oh, yeah. Or, I don't know. Um, Is it a loop? Do they take you back to the start? Or I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Why like, not? Yep, work it out. That's I have no crazy. idea. <laughs> That's a huge distance. Mm. That's really impressive. Yeah, I'm really keen to do it. And it's for a good cause as well. Mm. It's to raise money for kids without homes and shelter and food and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's um, going with the with, with the fitness being a big part of life. Like, when you think, uh, for, for me, mm. um, it's sort of like I have to do work so I can pay for, you know, living that sort of thing. I have to kind of figure out what I want to do in my free time with hobbies and stuff. Mm. On top of that, I need to keep myself healthy. So that's, I, I personally split that into two. It's like looking after my diet and then trying to get some physical stuff in there. Mm. And then it's exploring new hobbies. That's that's kind of me at the moment. Yeah. But I feel like that's also pushing, especially since school. You've got school where you spend most of your time and you come home and you do your own thing with your mates. Then you'll have like dinner and go to bed, that sort of stuff and repeat mm. it all over again. Um, but you bring up a good point that health is a very important part that's kind of, uh, well, I feel like it's overlooked. 
less so fitness, the fitness yeah, yeah, yeah fitness sort of thing is, is overlooked and less so now more often before when I first went to, went to the gym it was early high school um, a lot of people didn't go to the gym you know kids had their sport mm. and they go mm-hmm. and do their footy and stuff but the idea of guys going to the gym wasn't all that common yeah um, and even speaking to my parents and stuff the idea of people having personal trainers um, not necessarily when they were young because that's still like 30, 40 years ago mm. but even just when they had me the idea of people having personal trainers was you, you were rich you were up there but now yeah. it's, it's not very something. uncommon at all. You know? Mm. Yeah, all... Yeah. Now, now, <laughs> now that professionals are a dime a dozen. <laughs> yeah. They're pr- like, as we were talking about before, they pretty much come with the gym membership. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, quite often you have to do three sessions or something like that as well yeah. as work out your plans and your goals and all that. Like, mm. Before they let you just waltz in a gym by yourself, which I think is better anyway. I mm. mean, there are still gyms out there where you just you go out to walk in and do whatever you want. And yeah. Very, I think. Um, so to touch on more of what you asked about what sort of training I do. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, cardio at the wazoo. But I still, at the same time, want to train... Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Just, Just build muscle. Yeah. Down, yeah, Drop exactly. So much muscle mass because you're going to wear that down doing that much cardio anyway. Mm. But a bit of power training will still help you. Especially yeah sprints every time you come to a bit of an incline and stuff like that mm. you're gonna need that power <laughs> oh yeah definitely um yeah i was talking to one of my mates he's doing like third year or fourth year yeah or just coming into fourth year now um and he was i was just listening to what he was going on about and he said like i actually learned just from listening to what he was saying that you can train different systems at different times like not at, the different, at different times, at the same time, but not in one session. Like if you train one system, so aerobic, for example, you can like train another system the next day or depends where you're at in the week. You kind of adjust it to whatever you're kind of doing. But I found that really fascinating, so I thought I'd give it a go. And yeah, ever since I had recently had two surgeries um, to remove abscesses from my leg and um it's it's so refreshing to be able to exercise again i'll tell you that (laughs) um it's i found especially since um my personal health sort of journey with um diabetes and um i guess feeling really lethargic and losing weight and everything and coming to now actually feeling really tuned in with myself about everything and feeling good um i've definitely noticed a more mental aspect of fitness than i've ever seen before yeah it's like if i don't exercise i find i get so much in my mind i feel cloudy i don't feel clear yeah to put it in the simplest sense so now that I can exercise again, yeah. <laughs> I'm giving it all. I'm giving it a real good go to train my aerobic system and build muscle and tone and reshape in the places I really want to. Yeah. Yeah, um, you, you definitely can train both. Um, there is a 
interference factor with that though, um, where some of the effects you get from aerobic training would dampen the effects from resistance training, and resistance training can dampen the effects of aerobic training. Mm. So you can train both, and you will get increases in both. But if you are like, if, say you're a powerlifter, you're not doing cardio mm. because you want a hundred percent of that resistance strength, that power. You want to really train it. Aerobic, changing muscle fiber types and stuff like that. Well, if I mean it's a huge debate about whether you can change them or not, but you can change the characteristics for them to be more like a different muscle fiber mm. type. But yeah, so there is a there's an interference effect, but you definitely can train both and still get benefits from both. Mm. And for your average person, is a lot better for the only time you should be like, nah, fucking, I ain't touching that cardio stuff. Is when you are at that elite level and you need those absolute benefits. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Then again, I'm not an, an athlete. <laughs> so, I don't know. I would, 800 I'd love... marathon later. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it like that. I think people are only as athletes as much as they consider themselves athletes. Uh. Like, I think if you consider yourself an athlete, there's a different perspective. I mean, like, everything in moderation. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, I consider myself an athlete and I start work at five tomorrow, but I'm going to rock up at eight because I need to hit chest. Like, <laughs> there's limits to it. But I think, yeah, like, people are as much athletes as they consider themselves an athlete. Mm. And that sort of stuff. I mean, like, 800 kilometer. That is, yeah, I think, it's yeah. Athletic goal. Athlete worthy. You consider yourself an athlete in terms of that. Oh, at man. Least. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be an athlete. <laughs> <laughs> Another comment about the thing you said about the mental side. I was actually talking to my mother about this the other night. Mm. She brought up an interesting comment that exercise, and especially in those sort of volumes, is addiction. And, like, as you were saying, that you were getting impressed in that. Um, like, going over, like, just a theoretical discussion of, like... Because when you exercise, you're releasing endorphins. You have an endorphin release, same as, you know, you're taking any other drug. So what happens is you're taking this endorphin release and then you get that, like, you know, you get accustomed to that level. So you need to train harder to get more release, right? Mm. So that's the same as, you know, you need to up your dose to get a better effect. But then when you go off it, start feeling like shit i mean there's probably still the physical side like you probably feel weaker and that sort of stuff as well as you know increasing body fat again like you're probably not as much positive self look but there's also like i wonder is there withdrawal so you're not getting your drug you're not getting that release of endorphins but it's an addiction as well Mm. that's something i've actually been kind of conscious of because i got a few mates who very consciously of not consciously very obviously addicted to exercising. Yeah. Um, for me, I haven't thought about myself being addicted to exercise as of yet. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I'm not sure. I think I go a couple of days without exercise and I just feel like something's off, like that I'm out of balance. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, um, I have a lot better self-positive but like when I was heavily into my bodybuilding and that, if I skipped two days of gym, I'd look at my mirror and be like, "Fuck, you fat fuck!" Like, oh you, man! Like, look at you, so like, you need to drag yourself to the gym. You're a fucking waste of space, sort of thing. Oof. Nowadays, I'm a lot better, and 
now I just normally feel like I'm beating dogs. I probably train too hard, but <laughs> mm. I mean, I enjoy that. If I'm not sore the next day, I feel like I could have committed more. Mm. And it's probably also my nutrition at the moment. I'm probably not eating enough, but like, yeah, I have a lot better positive image in that. I'm like, I can go a couple of days without going to the gym. Like, you know, like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to be at Prac in a day anyway. I'll just do a workout before I start, sort of thing. Mm. But yeah. I think it was definitely like I was reaching that point of like exercise addiction where if I didn't have that stimulus like everything just went down the gurgle like the whole lot mm. and like yeah and it just and it affects so much outside of just your sport specific part of your life as well because then you start you know then you start having self conscious issues and then like you know you get a assignment at uni for public speaking or something like that and it's like mm. fuck like I don't want to stand in front of all these people man like and just like things like that can affect so much like it's the crossover effect from so many mm. different things like I think again going back to like that's why we need holistic approaches and the interdisciplinary approach to things is because everything causes a chain of events mm. and a lot of the time I think people like they'll find the problem at a certain point in the chain they'll fix it there but the problem might have started more of a source yeah behind the scenes yeah exactly and yeah it's just yeah I think people need to need to think a lot more before we start mm. working on things when there's an issue you need to go back and think of all the different things you've got going on and then why that could be and I'm sure you need your immediate effect and like that's what our health system is very much like now feel like we're starting to get a lot of change into preventative health but it's because it's the easiest for most companies and things to yeah. go towards yeah we're very tertiary healthcare, which is like you're sick take a pill you know you're depressed take a pill mm. you're this do that you're this do that instead of oh you're upset okay well here's a number for a counselor i want mm. you to go see them and then you know after a few sessions they can decide whether you need something instead of you coming to me as a doctor and five minutes into a conversation we're like oh well, here's an antidepressant if that's not strong enough come back next week yeah. which I have friends that have had that exact scenario happen and including like, me man like, <laughs> you broke up with your boyfriend you need to talk to someone not take these fucking drugs like yeah you know no less things should be fixed with a band-aid yeah sort of less quick to um like quick to a solution tangible solution yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and like I think that's sort of something from personal experience I found with like chiros and physios as well Mm. found chiros are very immediate results like oh I can help with this yeah they they sort of like crack crack your back and they fuck you feel good for a week and then you're shitty and you go but you go to the physio and you still feel like shit normally when you leave which is also a really nice way to bring in the dosh yeah (laughs) and then like a month later after seeing the physio like fuck I don't need to go back I feel great all the time <laughs> it's just like that sort of difference mm. but yeah it with a, a massive world that we're in um, that seems to be the simplest quickest thing people go to yeah is just the nearest solution we want it now mm. everyone wants it now yeah and like um, I know a lot of guys do you know much about Psalms P-S-A-L-M-S S-A-R-M-S, Psalms, Mm -mm. specific androgenic receptor 
or something. I don't know. Um, you can look that up yourself. Google Psalms, it'll come up. But um, Psalms is a chemical that supposedly, when you ingest it, works similar to a steroid, but it has more of an androgenic than an anabolic effect. Okay. Androgenic meaning it's specifically targeting muscles, where an anabolic will affect everything. Like a lot of your bodybuilders, they have that turtle tummy. They have that really out there gut that's still muscular. So that's because yeah. the anabolic steroids increase the size of their organ mass as well. Oh my god. Because their muscles. And that's why they have those huge out their stomachs as to how much steroids they're taking. But the idea between Psalms is you're getting a lot more of a muscular effect and it's not affecting the other organs. Oh, but that's it's good. supposed to work similar. I know a few guys that are taking it and to be honest, I can't tell the difference between them taking it and then just eating right and training hard. Mm. But like that's the idea behind that. But it's another thing though. They take it because they want it now. It's the same as the steroids. That's what's really scary. People want results without willing to do the work and the effort in the process and like the lead up to the actual end result goal that they want. And and this sort of thing is everywhere. Like you look at it everywhere. Fast food. Mm. Why is fast food a thing? Because we don't want to go home, cook dinner, make the chili, you know, reduce the sauce or whatever. Fuck that. <laughs> you know, if I spend a minute in Macca's and I'll get a cheeseburger, I don't want to have to go home and all that and do everything myself. Like, One thing that's cool there, I can, I can add in, I like cooking, um, <laughs> is that there's a genuine thing where if you were to make someone a sandwich, yeah, they fucking love it because they get the sandwich, boom, all in one hit, that's great. Mm. A little bit adding on to what you're saying there. If you're the one making the sandwich and then you go and eat it, you've experienced all the ingredients separately. So when you get them together, it's not as great as just getting the sandwich. Mm. It's like an actual thing. And I'll think yeah. of what it's called. <laughs> but um, because you've had the experience and you deal with the cooking process and you've kind of lived through all the different flavors, mm. like smelling them and being around it, the impact at the end isn't as great. The as the people that you're making the symbiont yeah. or whatever it's called. <laughs> yeah. All the stuff around you. So even that, you know, that's probably another big thing when it comes to like fast food and instant rewards yeah. and stuff although you have to work through and go through it um i don't know if it's if that's a positive thing when you apply that to other bits and pieces but i feel like with cooking especially though you'd have the opposite effect sometimes i feel like sometimes it's better because you've made it as well mm. i think probably with your more complicated dishes and stuff like that though mm. more to your simpler meals yeah. and sandwiches and stuff like that that makes sense to me but with your more complicated things where it's an accomplishment to pull it off and make it, there's a increased mental oh, enjoyment yeah. as well from like having done it yourself. Mm. I think mental stuff in general has a big thing to do with uh, gratification, whether it be immediate or yeah, like a delayed mm. or just everything has to do with how you perceive it. And how you feel mm. about it. So, with health, fitness, whatever you oh, call it. everything, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Deep in the philosophy oh, again. That's the thing, is it everything... You always wind back to that. And especially because yeah. now as we're getting more time to ourselves, more time to think about stuff, it kind of always winds back to our... Uh, how everyone's been doing it for ages is the set way, mm. despite whether or not that's the best way. Yeah. So, 
yeah, people, quite often people don't want to change and become like a slave to traditions. Mm. Like you do things because you feel like you need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I do that all the time. I've been doing it the same way for a while. Yeah. Keep doing it. Like wiping the standing up. Oh, right, look, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> that, no. <laughs> no. You're all wrong. I'm the only one awake in a world full of sleeping sheep, all right? Sleeping sheep. You've all got issues. Wait, wait. I totally just spaced out on that. Like, sleeping sheep. You don't need to. That was just, I don't know. That wasn't a reference. It's I'm okay. I'm defending myself. Cool. This is a personal attack. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. St- <laughs> Wipe and stand up is pretty, pretty good way to go. <laughs> All right, changing topic, eh? Yeah. Uh, probably for the best. Yeah, cool. we haven't done this episode. What? Well, the parts that can't be in reference. We're getting there. I've just thought about that. It'll happen. Yeah. It'll, it'll happen. But now we've got. We've to somehow go. dropped one like accidentally every episode. Hey. Okay. Uh, cool. Oh, I guess it's gonna stop being so predictable. Predictable. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. Okay. In regards to health and fitness, TM. Um, look I think the easiest like so many people struggle with it around the world and like even the reason that we're doing this podcast right now is to get the message of fitness out there Mm. and to I guess I don't know um, help someone out there um, provide insight perspective whatever it might be um, I really think that people always go for the easiest way to go. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. And with whether it be rehab or, um, sort of community or, or nutrition or anything, what people are already doing and what they've already tried is the best way to go. Yeah to follow along with their strengths, to go with what does work and guide the process. Like what you've done, sounds like you've done a lot of, is just like the broomstick. Yeah. And then build it up. And then eventually before they even realise it, but I love creating this feeling for people. Yeah. Is reaching that, what they've never thought they could reach before. And that's also why I say don't, don't limit people. Because people can achieve so much more than they realise. Yeah. That's a huge thing you'll notice with, um, when you're just trying to set weights for someone who's never trained before, mm. people are a lot stronger than what they think they are. Mm. You, the biggest thing I've found is don't tell them what weight you're putting on. Just put on weight, they do it, they're like, okay, I'm going to up it, and then you do it. Because you sit there and you go, oh, that's 35 kilos. And like, holy shit, that's like two bags of cement or something. Like, fuck, no, I can't lift two bags of cement. So like, well, now you can't do it because you've told yourself you can't. Like, mm. If I just lied to you and went, oh, yeah, do that. Uh, okay, we'll go up now. Uh, and then I sit there and I finish up. Like, okay, that was my max. You go, bracket up. It's like, that was 50 kilos. They're like, what? Like, <laughs> wait, what now? <laughs> like, yeah, man. Like, people are much stronger than what they think they are. Yeah. And I mean, like, even though, like, you see all these crazy videos of people, like, lift cars off the people. Like, you know, like, people are strong. People are really strong. Mm. I mean, that a lot of adrenaline's a major and steroids <laughs> people are yeah human body human body wow steroids is such a funny thing to me though like 
is so heavily judged and I feel like people need to just take a chill pill. Like my, my theory is if you're not hurting anyone, like do whatever you want. And in like a competition aspect, like if the steroids aren't considered fair game, don't do steroids, like, you mm. know, level playing field sort of thing. But like you get so many people that like, um, I've even made a comment myself about saying to people, they're like, yeah, I'd probably do it. And I had one person the other day be like, it's so immoral, how do you do that? Like, mm. how's that immoral? I would, I was like, I'm considering the fact of injecting myself with something, with the knowledge of how it works, what to do, how to PCT and all that sort of stuff, and that to see the effects on myself and that, and like learn from it. Now, which part of that's immoral? I was like, God, because it's banned. It's like, I'm not in a sport. <laughs> I'm mm. not competing and that sort of stuff. Like, why does it matter? It's not illegal because it's immoral. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, illegal because it works. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and in some sports, definitely, I like, I mean, some things where I wouldn't care, like cricket, it's like the batter wants to take steroids so he can slug the ball. I don't give two shits. But like, then you move into sports like um, your combat sports, especially. I think it should be a lot stricter, purely on the basis that like you have moved from being better at the sport to endangering someone's life. Yeah. Because you're gonna, they could be landing hits that they wouldn't have landed before at much greater strengths and stuff like that. And you're considering like this is going from them hitting a ball to like. They're punching this person in the head. If they're taking something that is increasing the ability to do that, that is considered banned, I really think it should be a lot heavier penalties. And in the terms of accidental death and that, I reckon it probably should be charged for manslaughter as well if they're caught cheating. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's just one of those things that, like, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, it's a dangerous game. They knew the risks. Like, yeah, they knew the risks and steroids wasn't on it. Fighting a silverback gorilla taking steroids was not on yeah. Things. But on the same token, there's an open playing field. Everyone wants to do it. Everyone's okay with that. Well, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I'm not going to judge you for it. Mm. But when you're going outside the rules to try and get that extra increase, I feel like some sports should be a lot heavier penalties. Mm. I want lighter ones on, like, I mean, everyone's probably up to date with cricket, the sandpaper, oh, yeah. whole sandpaper thing. Like, mm. who gives a fuck, man? The 1% extra advantage you might have given swing on that ball and the penalties they got were so harsh compared to people in previous years they've really made an example out of them people in previous years putting lollies on them and stuff like that like shining it up with a lolly and stuff and like they were getting like you know like half their match game taken out like half their match pay taken out these guys got what what was it like a fucking eight month ban as well as they just lost all the money for the um I doubt they'll be back in. Like, it'd be hard to get back into cricket when you've got that against you as well. Oh, that's... so many other people that have done it, though, and they've gotten Mm. away borderline scot-free, yet for some reason they're just making an example out of these guys, and I just don't get it. Like, Mm. and, like, um, (laughs) a couple of my friends on Facebook were sharing these things where it was, like, relating them to, like, being just as bad as murderers and rapists. I was like, they rubbed some sandpaper on a fucking cricket ball, like... And they're like, oh, but it's outside the rules. It's like, yes, there's a lot of other shit, but it doesn't equate them to murderers and rapists. Like, what the mm. fuck are you talking about? It doesn't mean like, it's the same standard as, like, act, like actual immoral stuff. Or, yeah. Yeah. It's just that sheep mentality, though. Like, the news will sit there and I'll throw something like that, and people just, without knowing anything about it, going off their nut. Like, mm. that's the thing. Probably the media gives you a select amount of information, and a lot of people will go as far as reading the title before they have an opinion on something. Yeah, I see that <laughs> too much. like, 
But man, like, did you read the rest of the article? Did you do any of your own research? I was like, no, nah, but I read the title. It's like, what do you fucking do, dude? Like, I'm not talking to you about this. Leave me alone. Yeah. And it's just people jump to conclusions, and I think people like to assume they know more than what they do. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I didn't even know like what the rules were with cricket and that, like with the tampering of the ball. I mean, I can definitely see how roughing it with sandpaper would not be allowed. But there's sports where things aren't disallowed, like uh, gymnastics is a huge one. Gymnastics, you're allowed to put anything you want on the bar to increase your grip. And there's a huge thing, a lot of people, and it's a sponsorship, I don't know if anyone's picked it up yet, but a lot of people use honey. A lot of people cover their hands with honey when they do the gymnastics on the bars to give them better grip. Okay. But there's even been cases where people melt down like jelly babies and they put it on their hands oh my and goodness. give them that increased grip. And it's, from memory, it's the next competitor's job to make sure the bar is clean and ready to go. So then they have to go out and clean it and then, like, dirty it up again for their standard and that. But, like, that's one of the things where, like, that's allowed all the time. And I was like, where do you draw the line with that? Is it cricket? Like, if I have a sweaty armpit, can I rub the bowl against it, give it a shine? True. Like, like where's the, is there a margaret? So you see them every time before they throw a pitch, they rub it on their shorts. Mm. It's like, where do you draw the line of ball yeah. tampering? Like, how did that even start? I mean, like... Like, did people yeah. go off at the first person who ever did that? Yeah. <laughs> it might have been, like, the whole, the whole um, underarm incident where I think it was Australia won against New Zealand by throwing an underarm when it was still in the rules. Okay. And so they chucked the shits and that, and now underarm's completely banned. Authorised that to be overarm. Because it's just everyone went overarm, like, never ended it. And then, like, the game was won with an underarm, no, fuck that. That's cheating, bro. <laughs> wow. So they changed the whole rules based on that. It's like, it's just funny. Like, where do you draw the line sometimes? Like, there's, mm. I feel like there's such a gray area between sides that, like, it becomes difficult to set lines. And then some things are set unfairly, mm. I think, due to the fact that you have to put a line somewhere. And, like, probably over here, motorbike lot, um, licenses is a good example of that. Because um, you used to be able to ride up to 250cc only on a lands class. Mm. You'd have to do another test to go unrestricted. You can now go up to 650ccs such that the bike is below a certain power to weight ratio. Because some companies made 250cc super bikes, which were faster than like 650cc motorbikes anyway. So they've had to draw the line on that. But then you can still buy 700cc motorbikes that are weaker than the 650s and that or like mm. lower and it's like well you know it's unfair but you've just got to put the line somewhere sometimes sometimes you don't you don't have that area to put a grey area you have to put up a border and say look sorry for safety's sakes we've decided this is where the line is we understand there's some grey areas but this is the best option we have mm. I feel like sports and stuff like that come to that as well like the sandpaper obviously no but like yeah I don't I don't know the rules cricket might be banned but can I rub the ball on my sweaty armpit before I throw it so I'm allowed to rub it on my shorts before I throw it so mm. nah it's just where do you draw the line they probably might get into some occhels and safety things with that like what if the person has HIV you can't throw <laughs> balls with sweat on it might get onto other person's scratches that they've got or something I don't know yeah. oh. well, that's another one Fighting that, sometimes I'll let fighters fight with staph infections. It's like, 
Man, you better not go and poison it, man. Do you drink? <laughs> I actually know about staph infections. Since the like the operations, they give you like yeah. this body shower wash to get rid of this staphylococcus. I think that's the actual yeah, term for it. And I was thinking, whoa, people could actually have high levels, low levels, just walking around every day. You do. You're covered in staph all the time. Yeah, it's yeah. The most common one, and that's like infections are fairly common. But when you think about it, rare because you are covered in it all the time. Every time you get a cut, you're having a chance of having a staph infection. It's um quite common in fighters, and I think it's just the rubbing body sweat and stuff over each other all the time gets in your eyes and your mouth and mm. whatnot and sometimes you get blood on the gloves and whatnot when you're punching each other up and it's probably just stems from that but like if you've got an infection that's outside your body and it's contagious you shouldn't be allowed to then go fight that person like for money like mm. it just seems so strange and but it's just another area like where do you draw the line because if you had a broken wrist or something that would have been a fight mm. because it's a different type of injury Yeah, why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to throw a Pirates of the Caribbean reference in there? <laughs> you think for a while we wrap this up. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well, cool, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Danny. And where can people find you? Um, my pleasure. Um, go for Instagram. Instagram? What's your Instagram? Name? Yeah, uh, Danielle Violet Pardo. And that's just D A N I E L L E V I O L E T. P-A-R-D-O. I didn't realise how long it was. I've never had to swallow it out before. <laughs> Fair enough. Alright. No other places you want people to reach out? No Facebook or anything like that? Um, you can search me on Facebook, but um, I don't know. It depends how personal you want to get. <laughs> uh, same. Yeah. <laughs> All seven of our viewers might get creepy. Yeah. Uh, Ooh. Okay. We don't know who most of them are, so. This is true. Mm. Um, Alright. So same same name, just with spaces in the appropriate areas. Daniel Violet Pardo, yeah. Cool. All right, awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on, and thank you for those that have tuned in and listened today. Uh, you can find Danielle at Danielle Violet Pardo, and you can find us at Viking Fitness on Instagram and Sixth King Fitness everywhere else. All right, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it was great. It's great to talk to someone who's in the same line of doing what I'm doing as well. Mm. It's exchange ideas and all that as well it's been good folks and stuff yeah that's us we're done <laughs> <All right. laughs>